Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. A Million Other Choices is a true crime podcast. And as such, we do discuss some dark topics that might be triggering for some. As you are a true crime listener, I support you in your curiosity. However, having lost a family member to homicide, my message is always to remember not just the victims, but the families and friends left behind, and also the officers, detectives, and prosecutors that work tirelessly for justice. There are links to make monetary donations in the show notes, but more importantly, if you enjoy the podcast, please tell your friends and press that fifth star on your listening platform to help me grow the show. I hope you enjoy the following episode. Hi, Serena. It's August 8th, 2006. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Serena. Happy birthday to you. Serena's three today. Yay! Hello again, and welcome to A Million Other Choices. I am your ever-grateful host, Kim. I don't know if I'm supposed to put this episode out or not. I have had nothing but issues with it. The first time I recorded it, I wasn't happy with it because I kind of had a cold at the time. It wasn't COVID, just a cold. Um, and so I, I don't know, I didn't like my voice in it. So re-recorded it and then realized that my cat was in the background and was making a whole bunch of noise. So then... I re-recorded it again and then realized I didn't have my microphone on. So this is about my fourth time now recording this. I don't know if the universe is trying to tell me that there's something about this story that I shouldn't be telling, but I am going to tell it. I'm a brave woman. We're going to do it anyways. It is a case that really gets me upset for two reasons. Number one, I hate it when people blame others for their own actions. Like, if the person hadn't made me so mad, I wouldn't have done that. People get me crazy too sometimes, and I don't kill to vent my frustrations. And number two, I really dislike the mental health services in this country. Not the people that actually work in the system, but the system itself. They kind of treat only in a crisis situation, and then as soon as they're stable, they send them out the door with pamphlets. There is zero follow-up. And when violence or suicide happens, it's like the system as a whole just kind of shrugs their shoulders and says, what are you going to do? This is the murders of Serena and Sophia Campioni.
To get to Serena and Sophia's story, we have to go back a bit in time before they were actually born. Frances Elaine Campioni, who always referred, preferred to go by Elaine, grew up in Gaspero Forks, New Brunswick, but then I had some other reports that said that she was originally from Coles Island, New Brunswick. Her mother was Faye Gooding, and I couldn't find any background information on who her father was and if he was involved with her upbringing or not. Uh, Lane herself, she liked to spend a lot of time alone, reading, watching TV. She was really a solitary creature and very shy, hauntingly insecure. She didn't really flourish very well, I guess you could say, in the rural community where she was living or where she was growing up. And in 2000, when she was about 20 years old, she moved to Ontario to work as a nanny, which would have been a huge step towards some independence for her. And that was where she met Leo Campioni, who was a very outgoing, quite charming man with a lot of the qualities that Elaine admired, but she hadn't really been able to hone for herself. They were kind of an unlikely couple. They married in August of 2002, and they moved to Bradford, Ontario. Neighbors described Leo as pretty social, very good-hearted. Elaine they saw as quiet, demure, and a bit socially awkward. From the very beginning, Elaine's insecurities were pretty evident, and she would often accuse Leo of cheating on her, and she would actually sometimes follow Leo to work to make sure that he actually went to work. Uh, So the marriage was pretty much doomed right from the start, but they did have two children together. Serena was born in 2003, and Sophia in 2005. Elaine later claimed that Leo had kicked her in the stomach when she was pregnant with Serena uh, and had continually abused her throughout their marriage. Between April of 2004 and June 2005, Leo did face charges four times actually for assault and for issuing threats that that included one time for actually hitting Serena in her high chair. He was released each time on bail. And when he returned home, he, he kind of started, he, well, he kind of, he started to monitor her calls and um, forbid her from talking to her mom. So she was, she became quite isolated. And none of this was really ever disputed by anybody. It was, it was an abusive marriage. And in that regard, Elaine was a victim of domestic violence. In June 2005, she actually fled to a woman's shelter and um, bruising on her body was documented by them. Uh, At that time, she filed for divorce and she requested full custody of the girls because she wanted to move back to New Brunswick to be closer to her mother. Um, That request was denied by the courts and Elaine started to feel kind of trapped in Ontario. No family to support her, no help with the children and um, really no help to just kind of help her stay emotionally balanced with her mental health. And due to his, the domestic charges that Leo had, he had supervised visitation with the girls. Faye, Elaine's mom, came to visit and help with the girls shortly after the separation and noticed that Elaine's mental health really seemed to be suffering. She seemed very overwhelmed. She was stressed and she developed these like nervous tics. She'd also started to become convinced that people were hired by Leo and they were following her and watching her. She'd become quite OCD. 
she would in her car when she was driving she would only make right turns and she would not want to park next to any black cars and the girls couldn't touch anything that was red because Elaine believed that red represented blood unfortunately Faye wasn't able to stay in Ontario with Elaine and so she had to return to New Brunswick but she was very concerned at that time about her daughter's her coping skills and the stress and anxiety that she was under and that it just seemed to be really affecting her emotional well-being. Because Elaine didn't have any family in Ontario, she, she would often go to Leo's parents, Diego and Anna, for help with watching the girls, maybe when she had appointments or if she had to work. And at one, at one time, she showed up unannounced on their doorstep, and Diego noticed that the girls, in his opinion, looked malnourished and that she appeared completely overwhelmed and wasn't really making sense. She was talking a lot of nonsense about aliens. Diego and Anna encouraged her at that time to leave the girls with them and to check herself into the hospital. And she did that. And CPS was notified of the situation at that time. And Diego and Anna were granted temporary custody of the girls. She stayed in the hospital at that time for seven days. And meanwhile, Leo was doing his AA and his anger management program that he had been mandated to do by the courts in order to have his supervision removed. So when Elaine was released from the hospital and found out that Leo had been getting these positive reviews about the treatment that he was doing and the possibility of having the supervision removed, she became infuriated and would not let the girls even talk about their father in her presence. She was growing increasingly angry towards Leo, who she felt was an abusive thug and should never have any contact with what she was kind of starting to believe were her girls. Once a brute, always a brute, just no credit for any of the progress that Leo was making. And it that sort of reminded me of one time, I remember saying to a friend of mine that I kind of hoped my ex-husband would just go away. I might have said died. I cannot confirm. And this friend of mine, she's just she's got amazing insight into things that are very true, but maybe you just don't want to hear at the time. But she said, no, what you hope is that he does what he's supposed to do to heal and grow and become a good person and a father, because that is what's in the best interest of your children. And those words just really started to change. They shifted my thinking and how I thought about things after that. And I kind of stopped looking for karma to to get him and just kind of really hoped that he would just get it in general. He would just start to change his behavior. But it sounds like Elaine started to get into that mind frame that um, he's a bad person and she was hoping that he, you know bad things would happen to him um, as punishment. At that time, Elaine moved, her and her girls moved into the Coulter Glen Apartments in Barrie, Ontario, where the residents in that building just absolutely loved the two little girls. Sometime in the summer of 2006, she again dropped the girls off at Diego and Anna's and checked herself into the hospital. And right around that same time, Leo actually had his supervision requirement removed by Children's Aid. Because the medical records were never released, I don't know if she was actually suicidal, like had made an actual suicide attempt, or if she was um, just feeling overwhelmed. We just don't know what she revealed to her doctors, obviously, about what, what it was that she was going through. 
Um, so we don't know the specifics on it, but clearly she's not doing well and she's kind of spiraling at this time. In July of 2006, she was again released uh, and the girls were again released back to her um, in her care. The hospital just sort of determined that she was fine and good to go. And for a time, she, she kind of was. She was taking the girls to the park and was seen just doing normal mom stuff, acting very normally. She walked in Take Back the Night, which was a march for victims of domestic violence. She received her certificate from um, a program called Consider the Children, which um, here in Alberta anyways is a court-mandated program that parents that are considering divorce have to take part in. It's not a particularly hard certificate to get. You just have to sit in a group and talk about your feelings and learn that the best interests of the kids should always be your first your first thought and the reason I remember it is because the only thing I really got out of that group was that there was this one lady she was always late and it was always somehow her ex-husband's fault so I don't think that she ever got the point of the program but she still did get her certificate for completing the group or the parts that she managed to show up for. At the end of the summer in 2006, she had started to give away some baby clothes and toys to some neighbors, and and rather than that being a red flag for them, most of them just figured she had this court hearing coming up that was um, in October, and she just wanted a fresh start. She did tell some of her neighbors that she was a bit worried about that hearing, and that she could possibly lose custody of her girls. She told them that Leo had requested her medical records for that custody hearing, so she knew that her background, the hospitalizations and some of her mental health struggles was going to come up in her past, could could have affected her primary custody that she um, had at that time. Especially since, on the other hand, Leo had been making significant progress in his programs. Now, I don't know the truth here. He he might have continued to be quite manipulative to her. One thing that I, I do know, particularly about abusers, is that they can be very charming to the people that they need to be charming to, but then quite cruel to other people. So we don't really know how well that was going, but it was going well enough for him that he could have wound up with custody, or at least joint custody with no supervision. On October 2nd, 2006, she starts to videotape, and initially you can hear um, it's about Serena's birthday and some gifts that she's getting, but that was earlier footage. She just sort of started new footage after that. I'm leaving it in because I just, I think it's important to to hear the interact the normal interactions between Elaine and her two girls. So after the birthday footage um, she's filming, so you can she's filming the girls. So you can see Serena is sitting on the floor in front of the TV in front of her. So it looks like she's sitting on a sofa. And then Sophia is doing that toddler thing that they like to do where they're it seems like she's climbing around Elaine, like on her shoulders and that you can't see her, but you can hear her. And it definitely sounds like she's asking persistently for her mother's attention. And uh, Serena, while she's sitting on the floor, kind of watching those cartoons, she does occasionally look up at her mom. She kind of does have a kind of 
a concerned look on her face at, at times, but then she just she goes back to her cartoons. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Serena. Happy birthday to you. Serena's three today. Yay! What do you think, Sophia? You sing happy birthday? No? You're three today. Yay! Shall we go to the living room and see if you've got any birthday presents from the birthday fairies? Yes! Okay, let's go. What is it? It's a bike. What are you watching, you? Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty. Uh-huh. How does Mama much? Does Mama love you? This much. Oh, I love you more than that. How much does your Mama love you? See how the camcorder works? Look. Yeah, it's the fireworks! <laughs> Hi! <laughs> Is that mommy? Hi! <laughs> you can't see through the camera, boo-hoo-hoo! <laughs> oh, yes, this is a deplorable, horrible, messy, filthy apartment that supposedly my two children and I live in, and it's just a horrible, horrible mess. Yeah. I think Diego Campioni is totally in the wrong, and I hope he burns in hell for all his sins. The same as Leonardo. All I wanted to do was take care of my two little girls and live happily ever after, after the three years of physical, emotional, and mental abuse that I endured tremendously by Leonardo Campioni and in the past year from Anna and Diego Campioni the mental and emotional abuse which wasn't stopped and I had CAS keep bringing these two people into my life over and over again when I kept telling them the amount of mental and emotional abuse it was causing my three-year-old daughter Serena and I and Sophia. It was horrible and uncalled for and I want justice to my family for what they have all done to us. I cried out for help. They should have charged him for the assaults he did to me, the assaults he did to my, my oldest daughter, Serena, and they did nothing, nothing for us. Instead, they gave him more and more rights. It's just unfair and cruel. And so many women go through this. And it's not fair. We should have been allowed to leave and go home and heal with my family, who, by the way, were foster parents, who have CS clearance, unlike his family, who are immigrants who lie and steal and do everything horrible and associate with very bad criminal people. My family doesn't. My family are all upstanding citizens. But yet, he and his family get all the rights. And my poor three-year-old, I do everything to protect. What are you saying, Sophia? What do you want? Please? Hey, Serena. Who loves you? Mommy. Who loves you the most? That much? Oh, I think I love you more than that. The camera cuts out, 
at 8.39 p.m. and then cuts back in again at 9.37. And at that time, she's in front of the camera by herself, sitting on the sofa. She's talking really quietly, mumbling. You really can't hear it, so I'm not going to play it for you. But she, she says that she's taken some pills, tried to kill herself, but that it didn't work. Again, it's really unclear, but you can hear her say that everything is gone and it's all Leo's fault. It was later discovered that she had taken a sleep aid, which had been prescribed for her in the hospital. Uh, it is a strong sleep aid. Um, whether she took enough of it that it could have killed her, I, I don't know. She then called 911 and, and really calmly told the operator, quote, my children are dead. They're dead in my bed. I took a bunch of pills, and when I woke up, my daughters were dead. End quote. When the police came, she led them into the bedroom where Serena and Sophia were laying on the bed, dressed in their favorite princess dresses and holding hands with each other. And they had been also kind of adorned with rosary, ble rosary beads. She wasn't actually brought in for questioning until about 4 p.m. on the 4th of October, so there might have been um, some time in there where she was hospitalized for evaluation. Constable Greg Bricknell later testified that when they found the girls, quote, there were no signs of life in either of the children. Both of them were cold and clammy to the touch, and they had grayish-bluish skin, end quote. So they had obviously been dead at that time for at least several hours. Under interrogation, Elaine suddenly couldn't remember anything. She wanted a lawyer. She kind of even tried to say that she didn't know where her girls were. Only one person can tell us what happened last night. How did they die? I'm not allowed to speak without an attorney present. Mm -hmm. That's why I have to say I cannot speak without an attorney present. Did you kill both of them? I cannot speak without an attorney present. One of the things that uh, I, I wanted to make sure is that they were, you did die peacefully. Peacefully? Okay. Yeah, I, I appreciate you telling me that because that makes me feel good as a parent and as a person too that, you know, here, we've been talking for a little while here, and I, you know, when I leave this room, I want to be able to say that you're not this monster, and that it was all this that was on your shoulders. And it's it's my job to uh, explain. My children had no idea what happened. Mm -hmm. Do they trust that what you're doing was the right thing? I don't think they can answer. Yeah. How do you feel? Do you feel you're doing the right thing? No, I have to answer to God. Oh, you do, yeah. So, do you understand everything that's happened here today? I mean, you, you're, you understand that... Yes, I'm being charged. Yeah, and, and, and you understand it's two counts of first-degree murder for both your children. And, and I understand here that you've gone through a lot, and it doesn't sound like you've got a lot of support. And you know what? Truly, I, I don't understand how anyone in your situation could be able to do that on your own. I, I really don't. Only you know what was going on inside yourself. And when this they happened, were my babies. 
They're your babies, I know. Serena was playing in the in the living room, coloring, sign, doing sign language. Mm-hmm. Sophia was having a bath. We were videotaping. Mm-hmm. Everything was fine, same as we always do. Mm-hmm. It's, nothing's different. They go to bed between seven and eight o'clock at night every night. Mm-hmm. I kept them in a routine to keep them stable mm-hmm. because of the chaoticness of having to have a babysitter in a day or babysitter at night because he's dragging me into court for this and that. Meanwhile, my daughters are bawling their eyes out because they don't want me to be away from them. I don't know, but I'm trying to understand what happened last night. And only you can tell me that. I don't understand. The next thing I know is I've got people at my house. Mm-hmm. Guy with a blue outfit with orange on it in my bedroom as a police officer telling me something about charges. I'm asking where my daughters are, and they're just looking at me, telling me they need to put handcuffs on me, I need to get on a stretcher, and I'm still asking them where my my daughters are, and that's all. And I'm just gonna back up. So, what happened last night? Sophie was having a bath. I was videotaping her for my mother singing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star because that's her favorite song. Mm-hmm. She sings it every night for my mom. Right. And I was doing that and she would start to do bath flips and she got a little bit of water in her ear. So I stopped the videotape because she panicked and then I picked her up. And then that was it. Then I went over to see Serena because she was coloring, asking her to clean up her coloring. She's got to get ready for bed, pick up her pajamas. And that's all. And the next thing I remember is these people were in my house. And then why were you videotaping? To send to my mother, her singing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Okay. Now with all this pressure bowing up, any point? Did you do anything in the, the in the bathroom? The usual routine that we always take. Okay. That's all I remember. I sing the same songs. I sing, you know, joy, joy to the world. You know, all the songs that they love. It's the same songs I sing over and over and over again. Where do you, Where do you think your children are now? I assume my husband. You understand that both the children, Sophie and Serena, are both deceased. What she had done was she had placed them into the bathtub and told them that they were going to play an underwater game where they had to lie face down and blow bubbles. Once Serena was under the water, Elaine forcefully had her, held her little head down and pressed it into this blue bath mat on the bottom of the tub. She then did the same thing to Sophia. And she actually pushed so hard that bruises in the pattern and little bits of blue plastic or rubber from that bath mat were actually embedded on the girls' foreheads. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Father Michael Crisoni gave a eulogy for the girls at their funeral to an absolutely packed church. He was the same priest that had married Leo and Elaine and baptized both Serena and Sophia. He said, quote, angels, they look just like angels. They had blonde hair and blue eyes. They were always smiling and dancing, end quote. In September 2010, at her trial, she, of course, went for a not criminally responsible or NCR defense, claiming that her mental instability had caused the murders. Um, she didn't even remember doing it. Her lawyer, Mary Kramer, argued that the the divorce, the whole thing, was what she called a recipe for disaster, and that um, the fact that a mentally ill single mother was released from a psychiatric hospital after a suicide attempt with little more than a prescription and sent home to care for her two very young daughters um, was that recipe for disaster. I could not agree more with that part. Why on earth she was returned um, to take care of her, those two little girls knowing that she had no family support, she was emotionally frail. It just seems incredulous to me, but just don't even get me started on the mental health care in this country. Dr. McMaster as was an expert witness, and he testified that although Elaine knew right from wrong in a very general sense, she didn't have the ability to apply that knowledge uh, in her own life. He said that killing her daughters was what she would have considered a last resort. Uh, the prosecution countered, of course, that she had planned it and had done it to spite Leo. They claimed that Elaine killed the girls and tried to kill herself, and it was all happened just days before this family court hearing because she didn't want Leo to get custody. She had learned that these medical records were going to come into play and she knew that she had extensive psychiatric history and so she had a motive. It had also come out in court that Elaine had at one time told her sister that if she couldn't have Serena and Sophia then nobody could. The jury also heard that drowning would have taken two minutes or more. The prosecutor asked the jury to think about that and what it would take to hold a child underwater for two full minutes and then do it again to your other daughter. Dr. Huckner, who was another doctor, he testified that she had the capacity to understand what they call the moral wrongfulness of her acts and that those killings were done out of revenge, essentially that she had chosen to kill her children rather than risk letting her ex-husband get them. Leo's victim impact statement read, in part, quote, The images of their last moments, innocent and helpless as they were, will haunt me forever in ways I can't even begin to describe. I see Serena and Sophia in my mind every day, and I carry them in my heart until we reunite again. I live my life and gain my strength in knowing with each passing day I am one day closer to being with them. I found my place in life, and my peace was with them. Above all else in life, nothing brought peace to me like they did from their loving embrace. Diego and Anna said, quote, We miss their laughter, their smiles, their love for life. Their mere presence lit up a room. Their joyous attitude lit up our hearts. Our time with them was cut short. Our hearts broken. Our lives shattered. The emptiness of losing Serena and Sophia is something we live with every day. 
However, the joy and memories we shared with them will live in our hearts forever. Elaine Campioni was found guilty of first-degree murder, but get this. Justice Alfred Strong said at her sentencing, quote, It is more than disconcerting to think that if Campioni had not been so abused, so used and discarded as a person, her two daughters could still be alive. To me, it sounds like he's blaming Leo for his daughter's death. And while I was researching this case, I came across an opinion article by Christy Blatchford, which I believe was originally published in the National Post. She writes about something that Dr. Rob Whitley of McGill University calls the chivalry hypothesis, which was a study that was done where they looked at about 1,200 articles from the media over a six-month period that had to do with mental illness that was involved in violence or criminality and found that stories that depicted men that had um, an alleged or definitive mental illness were more stigmatizing, um, where the article would focus upon the crime itself, danger, violence, that kind of thing. Well, those that were written about women were significantly more likely to have recovery as a theme and to focus more on some background information, such as some mental health interventions, uh, past abuse, trauma, those kinds of things. She says, quote, These articles more frequently portrayed women compassionately as victims of circumstances or passions beyond their control. And that led Christie to name her article, Media and courts treat women like delicate little flowers instead of full human beings. And she does kind of have a point. I've definitely been seeing since I started researching cases for this podcast that men that have mental health issues are seen a lot more like monsters and women. There just always seems to be more information about traumatic events that maybe led to some kind of mental break. Elaine, of course, appealed on the grounds that the jury had not been properly told how to determine if she was criminally responsible. And that appeal was dismissed in 2015, with the court saying that a subjective but honest belief in the justifiability of the act is not sufficient alone to ground an NCR defense, because an individual's accused personal sense of justifiability is not sufficient. The accused person's mental disorder must also refer him or her incapable of knowing that the acts in question are morally wrong as measured against societal standards, and therefore incapable of making the choice necessary to act in accordance with those standards. In 2019, the parole board provided her with a couple of escorted leaves. She had one to attend a healthy relationships program, Uh, One was to celebrate a recovery program of some sort that she was in and a divine conference that that one was held over two days. And then she had some others to attend uh, Sunday mass. I believe that she has already been moved to a minimum security facility. And if you've listened to some of my other cases, they are pretty cushy. I believe Stephanie Novak's mom, Pam Novak, said it best when she said, if it was a resort... I couldn't afford to go there. Now, if you want to know my opinion, which I know you didn't ask for, but I'm going to tell you anyways. I myself was driven near crazy by a very narcissistic and cruel, abusive ex-husband. My kids were also very little. 
I, at the time, was very depressed, very overwhelmed, maybe should have checked myself in somewhere at some point, um, but I never once thought of hurting my children or, or anyone else as a form of revenge. I might have secretly wished for something like a car accident or something that take him out of the picture, but I never even dreamed about doing anything to him. And believe me, I was angry, I was frustrated, and of course terrified of losing my kids over the lies that he was telling. So I do understand how she felt, but I don't get it. I can't even relate just a little bit to the choice that she made. So I think that prison is where she belongs. I think that she's criminally responsible, but that is my opinion. You might have another opinion. I'm just not going to pretend that I know how to tell stories in a balanced way. You just kind of always are going to know my opinion. And that was the tragic and preventable murders of Serena and Sophia Campioni. I'm going to be back again next week with another sad and tragic case of murder. Please feel free to reach out to me by email at a million of the choices at outlook.com or on my Instagram or Facebook account. Word of mouth, of course, is my most favorite thing in the whole wide world. So if you do enjoy my podcast, maybe you know someone else who would too. I did notice that Facebook has added podcasts now. You can listen to my podcast on there. And if you do listen on Facebook, you can share your favorite episodes on your Facebook page. You know, if you want. No pressure. As always, thank you so much for listening. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.